well, I'm afraid we, we are in our I Am series, um, and Chris is going to be speaking this week, but please pray for Chris. Uh, he was playing football on Tuesday, and um, his back is not recovered. Um, he's on a lot of painkillers, um, and just actually we realized when we made a decision on Friday evening, he was not going to be able to stand here for 35 minutes and speak. Um, so we actually just made a decision. I pulled one out of the bag from about 10 years ago, um, and I was like, wow. I was really rubbish 10 years ago, wasn't I? <laughs> um, and I haven't changed it at all, so, uh, so you're in for a treat. But you know what? The beauty is I am speaking <laughs> just to set it up. Um, I'm going to be speaking about parenting this morning. I just thought it was so apt with Mother's Day. And you know, we live, in a, we live today in this society, don't we, in a culture of celebrity. Uh, and I've put up here... This is just the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You, got a, you can't actually see them there, can you, because of this, the lights. But there's Tom Hanks there and John Lennon. Um, and there's lots of names there that actually we get so obsessed with. Our culture gets obsessed with finding information about them. And they want to find out all about their lives. And they obsess over them. And I wanted today to look at actually another couple who I think, if there was a biblical walk of fame that these guys would be in there. In fact, they're in the sort of hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And they're called Amram and Jochebed. Anyone know who those guys are? Moses' parents, Ruth, bingo. Um, They are from this great passage, Hebrews 11, uh, where they are exalted essentially for their faith. Okay? I'm just going to read this one passage. It says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. We're going to be reading from the passage of Exodus 2, but it's that, that literally, they have got one verse in that Hebrews 11 chapter, that great um, hall of faith. And um, before I read it, I just want to recap on, on what's going on in the life of Israel at this point in time, just so you can try and pick it up from there. Um, at this point in time, obviously the Israelites are living in Egypt, okay? But gone are the days of Joseph, when the Egyptians had actually been very kind to the Israelites, giving them land to dwell in. Because what had happened is a new king had risen up at this point here. He didn't know Joseph, and he was a bit of a tyrant. And he made it his business, essentially, to oppress the Israelites as best as he possibly could. And the king had obviously become a little bit insecure. He saw the Israelites were increasing in number rapidly to the point where they were starting to fear that they might turn on them. You know, they're actually getting powerful. They're growing in number. And so he started putting slave masters over them in the work that they were doing because they were slaves themselves. He was making them work incredibly hard, basically trying to stop them from having any energy to multiply, or to even think about turning against him. But it seems that in these days, the more that these people were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And multiplication was seen as God's grace. And um, the king then ordered his next line of attack was to order the midwives to kill any children born who were boys. And you know, the midwives here, they, they were Hebrew midwives. Okay? And they didn't obey the king's commands. They ended up telling the king at that point that the Israelite women were different to Egyptian women. That actually they gave birth much quicker 
and uh, they just kept missing the births. They didn't arrive on time. As a result, you know, the Israelites continued to increase in number. It tells us as a result of them actually disobeying the king's orders, they also were given families of their own. God blessed them with families. By this point, the king had had enough, okay? And he demanded that all Hebrew boys that were born were to be thrown into the Nile, okay? And this is where we just start this story from now with Amram and Jochebed. So if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to it, if not, it's on the screen, Exodus 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Amazing, amazing story. I'm often amazed as I look at people's lives at how God, so often you can see his hand in people's lives and their stories, can't you? And this passage here, it is just absolutely filled with that. It doesn't disappoint at all. It is just astounding to me, just the sovereignty of God, that actually God gives Moses' sister, firstly, this little girl, the boldness to go up to Pharaoh's daughter. You know, this is a slave girl approaching um, the queen, essentially, and um, gives her the boldness to go up and says, shall I get you a nurse to look after this baby? But even more so, just God's sovereign hands, that she says yes. And Moses' own mother is able to look after her son, having given him away. And not only that, she's paid to do a task that honestly she would have done for free. And yet in God's sovereignty and grace, this happens. And it's a great story. And I just thought it was so apt today as we celebrate Mother's Day. Because what's interesting, in the Hebrews 11 passage, the couple are celebrated for their faith. It's both Amran and Jochebed. But actually, as we read, and this is really the only other references to them, is the Exodus 2 passage. We don't get to find out a huge amount about Moses' parents. Obviously, Moses is this great character who does amazing things. And yet, actually, as parents, we don't get to find out much. This is it. But when reading it, it's actually about his mother. Okay? But actually, in the Hebrews 11 passage, they're both given that sort of um, recognition for their faith. Okay? But when we read it, it says she saw the child was fine. And yet in the Hebrews 11, it's they saw that the child was fine. And I just thought it's so apt, actually, 
Mothers are so important. You do such an important role. I want to talk not just about mothering today, but parenting as a whole. And, you know, sometimes I think when we, we don't often talk about parenting. And I guess if you're not a parent here this morning, or if your kids have left home, then I don't want you to switch off. Because I think what we've got here is some great biblical principles uh, that we can learn from Moses' parents. And just as we celebrate giving out these things this morning, I think from a spiritual perspective, we have lots of parents in the church, even if they're not physically your children. We have spiritual parents and aunties and uncles and grandparents in our church, which we can learn the same principles of. So please don't switch off. This is so important. So I want to start with just this. They, firstly, they had a vision for him and his life. Okay? His parents had a vision. You've got this passage. She said, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she saw that he was a fine child. And when you look up what that actually suggests, and some of the words are suggesting he was beautiful uh, or handsome. Some suggest he was healthy. But actually, there's something here that mimics uh, the account of creation. And the Hebrews would have known straight away, I think, as, we, as, as they mentioned this, that this is a, a looking back at creation and the way that God describes things. He made them and he said they're good. Yeah? And then he made mankind. And he said, and it was the one thing. You know, he'd made the animals, uh, he'd made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. And yet, they were all good, and yet he made mankind, and he said, very good. That's how he viewed us, because we are made in his image, okay? And there's something here that his parents have grasped, something that they've grasped about his nature, and they're declaring this same thing over their child, okay? And I don't know what you see when you look at your child. Do you have a vision for them? Who, who watches this program, One Born Every Minute? Do you know, I've watched it a few times, but honestly, it is just... Um, so in Leeds, when we were there, it was filmed quite often in the Leeds Hospital. And um, I have to be honest, I've watched it a few times, and I just can't bring myself to watching it anymore. It's, it's one of those things where I just... The, the thing that intrigues me is seeing the reaction of the parents when that child is born. Okay, and um, obviously they've just been through this really tough time, and yet the joy and um, and some of those reactions of ah, and I have to be honest, when we had Jesse, our first, I didn't know what I was expecting. You know, you ha- you're not you're not given a huge amount of information, and we had quite a difficult birth, and she came out, and I have to be honest, her, her whole head was shaped like an egg. Honestly, and I freaked out. I was like, what on earth have we produced? We have an egghead. (laughs) And it was one of those, oh my word, I should be looking at my daughter with such joy. And all I can see is this cone on the top of her head. Thank the Lord, within about an hour, it had settled down and she had a beautiful shaped head. But I just remember seeing her for the first time and thinking, oh my life, what is going on? It's funny, isn't it? I think as we look at our kids, there's something really interesting um, that we can learn here from them. 
when they saw him, I think they saw, not only was he just beautiful in, in, in that they saw him, they, there was something that caused, God caused something to happen in their hearts, I think, that they knew he was no ordinary child, that he did have a special calling. There was something prophetic, actually, in what was going on there. Now, it's true that as we look at Moses' life, that he did have an amazing calling on his life, didn't he? He saw more miracles than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob put together. And in some places, a number following one after another as God intervenes on behalf of his people. But I want to say the truth of the matter is this, is that I believe each child is given by the Lord. Okay, They're a gift from God. And each child is special. And we have to understand as parents when we're looking at our kids that actually they are fine, they're beautiful, they're wonderful. They are made in his image. They're made by God. They're given by him. And I don't actually care what circumstance they come into the world, whether they've been planned or forced or unexpected or they feel inconvenient or the result of much prayer or a regret. They are beautiful, and they're from God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says this, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Honestly, I need this verse plastered in my house, thousands of places everywhere I look, because I so often forget this when my kids are arguing or complaining or bickering or just not listening, they are a heritage from the Lord's offspring, a reward, a reward from him. And I need that because actually we need to keep remembering as parents to keep celebrating our children, okay? They do, they bring us joy, they bring us pleasure, they bring us exhaustion, they bring us messiness, and they bring us joy and they bring us pleasure. And this is parenting, and, do you know, as parents, we can say things to our kids that will affect how they think about themselves the rest of their lives. That is the reality. Proverbs 18 says this, it says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And um, there was a newspaper article on an actress, Dawn French, and it included this description of her upbringing. When Dawn French was 14 years old, overweight and about to go to her first disco. Her late father sat down for a talk. She was expecting the usual father-daughter stuff about boys with high testosterone levels and what time she should be home. He did spell out what he would do to any over-enthusiastic lads who dared lay a finger on the young dawn. But it was what he said next that had such a lasting effect on her life. He told her that she was uncommonly beautiful the most precious thing in his life, that he prized her above everything, was proud to be her father, and that no father could have given his daughter a more valuable start in life. And you know, instead of approaching adolescence as the short, fat girl who couldn't get a boyfriend, Dawn was secure in the knowledge that she was loved for who she was, not for what she looked like. And she talks about the confidence that remained throughout her adult life. And um, she says this. She says, how wise of my father to say that. It affected my whole life. How could you not come out of it well equipped to deal with, what, with life 
when you felt so loved and so supported. Do you know, this simple five-minute conversation with his daughter had lasting impact on the way that she viewed herself. The vision that he had of her and what she was able to do, he was able to impart to her with such power in five minutes. And you know, what's interesting this morning is I have one of my uh, old youth leaders here, Julian. And um, he will tell you, as I talk about my life, I was a difficult child, wasn't I? I'm, I'm from a family of six. My parents were crazy. They had six children in six years. Don't ask. I am a twin. That's the only sort of... Uh, and I was very, very difficult to look after. In fact, my parents used to choose to look after the other five as opposed to me. So one, one of them had to look after me and the other had to look after the other five. We won't go into why that was, but let's just say you can understand a little bit about my kids now, maybe. <laughs> it does come back and bite you. But, um, but you know what I did have? I had parents who had a passionate faith for Christ and uh, a passionate faith for each of us. And they spoke over us that we would do great things for Jesus they would often sit us down together. We would always eat around the dinner table. And they would speak words over each of us about what they saw, the gifts that God had given us. And not necessarily just looking at our natural abilities that we can all see in our children. But I want to say they used to speak it through eyes of faith. Those things that are unseen, actually. There were times, I say, I say there were times when I doubted as a child and Julie's thinking, you never doubted. You were totally cocksure of everything. I was, I was over, um, overconfident as a child in some degrees, wasn't I? But there was doubt that was going on. There were times when I doubted my abilities and my um, destinies. And actually, I want to say it was my parents who were able to keep me on some sort of track. They were able to speak faith over me. And even though I was a troublemaker, I was a pain in the neck, and they struggled. You know, it was a battle for them to look after me. They continue to speak love. They continue to speak faith. They continue to give me a vision for the things that God had for me in my life. They actually saw that what I had, the way that God had made me, could be used very well or could be very destructive. And they were able to bring out the best. I think as I look at it from a church perspective, as I mentioned Spiritually, we have parents and grandparents and aunties and uncles here. And it's crucial that actually as our kids within Freedom Church, as the kids around us grow up, that as they look up to those who have responsibility for them, whether that be in kids' work, whether that be uh, as parents, that regardless of the circumstances bearing down on them, I want to say it's so important that they see someone who believes in them. We all need someone to have faith for us, don't we? And Romans 4.17 talks about God calling things into being that were not. And I believe through God, through his Holy Spirit who dwells in us, we also have the power to call things into being that maybe are not yet. We get to see through eyes of faith. 
And you know, I think our job is to create, as parents, as grandparents, is to create a, a steady stream of life-giving words into the lives of our children, okay? When we learn to look at our children and we see their potential and their destinies in God, we learn to release the power of life through our words. I want to say I think we become a channel, a broadcast of God's grace into their hearts. Our words that we speak over them have the ability to create things in the hearts of our children. But I want to say this, they also have the ability to reach in and pull things that have always been there to the surface, promises that have been spoken over them. But that same voice that can empower so easily can also destroy. When a child encounters an angry, a tired, or irritated parent, and I'm so aware as a parent with three children that I have spoken so many times in anger and frustration and tiredness. And at times, I think remembering here right now the power and the privilege that we have as parents to speak into, our li- into the lives of our children is so important. It helps me to stop and go, wait, what am I saying here? Just think about what I'm saying, the power that I have. There was a philosophical experiment done years ago on a class of children aged five. They were asked this question. Who is an artist here? And all of the children at age five put their hands up in the classroom. Some years later, they were gathered together and asked the same question. And only two of them put their hands up in that classroom. And the philosopher concluded, creativity just falls off people because of negativity and fear of people. Creativity just falls off people. It falls off our kids at such a young age. Now, I don't know what your upbringing was like. I don't know what your parents were like or your grandparents. But I do know that you as a person have been shaped and influenced by the Spirit of God. And I would urge you to look at your loving father who knit you together in your mother's womb, who created you before he even spoke creation into being. I want to remind you this morning that he loves you and he cherishes you. And the Bible tells us that he has plans for you in your life. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Yeah? And it's funny, as we look at God the Father He modelled perfectly this idea of speaking faith and vision into his child on earth, Jesus. Uh, Mark 1.11, he says this, You are my son, whom I love, and I am well pleased. This was Jesus getting baptised. And God the Father spoke over him these words. And I just want to remind us that actually, Jesus hadn't even started his ministry at this point. This wasn't God looking at the miracles that he was performing and going, wow, you've got it. This was before he'd done any of that. God wanted to affirm his son, that he loved him, that he was so pleased with him. This wasn't about the works that he was going to do. This was simply because he was his son. I guess some of you now are starting to think as parents thinking, so what vision have I got for my kids? It's a great question to ask. And some of you, I think, might be sitting here thinking, oh my words, uh, I've got no vision. 
there's that panic starting to creep in, thinking, what, what am I doing as a parent? I want to say this, it's just, it's never too late to start. It may mean this morning that you go away, you start praying, saying, God, give me vision for my kids. Help me to see what you see as you look at them. Help me to speak over the truths of your word over them. That's giving them a vision for a future and a hope. Just one of the simple things that we did to all of our kids. We obviously, um, and, and they learn it from a very young age, we used to ask them, when do we love you? And they used to scream back all the time. And we often use this just after discipline. Okay? When we've had to discipline them for behavior uh, that has not been good, we wanted to remind them that we loved them all the time. And that's just one thing of just input and vision for them, just reminding them of the truth. We love you all the time, no matter what. We may not love this behavior, but we love you. Secondly, it says that they hid him and protected him from harm. Do you know, as I, um, we've got lots of young parents here, haven't we, in the church? And as I think back to our times, one of the most annoying things that I encountered as a parent was, was talking to parents who brought that child home and that child just seemed to sleep from day one. <laughs> and they're in that sleeping pattern. And you think, why, Lord? Why did you give me non-sleepers? It's that challenge of, of um, trying not to get jealous when you see other people's um, kids. And it can happen now at this age when you see really well-behaved children and you think, why are my kids not that well-behaved? <laughs> my children are great. I love them. They are. <laughs> to be fair, what was interesting is I was a really light sleeper. I'd grown up in Biker. We used to get burgled all the time because <laughs> of the area that we lived in. And we used to live in the church house next to it. And so we used to get broken into about six times every year. By burglars. So I actually became a light sleeper from a child because we'd often be getting up with the alarm going off and we'd go around. And so I was this really light sleeper. And then we had Jessica. And from the day she came home, my light sleeping went to deep sleeping. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like a pure grace. And so, so I can actually say I actually got good sleep. I, I used to wake up, that terrible thing for a mother, I used to wake up going, Man, she slept so well last night. And she was like, nope, she was up 14 times. And yeah. But you know, as I think about Moses here in this story that they had to hide him for three months, I think Moses must have been a sleeper. Yeah, he must have been. But his parents knew that there was a time here that, and they had a job to protect him and hide him for his own life. And I want to say this, we live in a hostile world, don't we? where according to the Bible, there is still a Pharaoh ruler who wants to kill and destroy. And this Pharaoh is called Satan. And you know, as I look around at our younger generations, he seems to be doing a pretty good job of destroying lives. And I want to look specifically at some stats that I gathered. Now, just bear in mind, these stats are like 10 years old. <coughs> but I think they're only going to be worse than what they are here regarding children and adolescents. And some of them... Some of them are UK stats and some of them are American. Um, so the average TV, TV viewer sees 9,320 sexual acts 
or implied sexual acts on TV each year. That's 93,000 sexual acts over 10 years. I think that's probably got worse in 10 years' time. It says this, the, Mary, uh, the charity Mary Stokes International did a study on over 1,000 children aged 11 to 15. And they said that a quarter of 11-year-olds in the UK know someone their age who is having sex. Shocking. There's an American stat here. Over two and a half million new adolescent cases of sexually transmitted diseases occur every year. The NSPCC suggests at least 64 children are sexually abused every day in England and Wales. Every day. Murder rates for teens rose 165% in the last 10 years in America. And finally, 10% of adolescent boys and 18% of girls have made some attempt to take their own life. Now, when we look at those stats, we think the devil is doing a good job at destroying our kids, isn't he? And if I'm honest, when you look at these statistics, it can be scary bringing children into this world. And I want to say Moses' parents lived in an age where their own race was being oppressed and infants were being killed by order of the rulers there. And I believe if we're going to shelter our children effectively from things that can and will harm them, I think it actually has to start with us. Okay? There's something here for us in taking care of our own selves first, okay? The health and the happiness of our families, I think, is directly related to our health and happiness as parents, okay? We get to create the atmosphere in our homes. We're the ones that are imparting to our children who they are. And unless we sustain and protect our individual health and happiness... I want to say it won't be too long before we're imparting unhealthiness and unhappiness to our kids. You see it, don't you, when you get on an aeroplane and the air stewardess gets up and they talk about what to do in an emergency. The gas mask come down. You don't go and put it on the children first. We have to look after ourselves first so that we can take care of the children. And it's so important that we make sure that we look after ourselves. And you know, there are many reasons out there as I look at parents who are struggling with their kids, why actually they don't always look to protect their kids in the best way. There's that fear of rebellion amongst kids, isn't there? Parents don't want to come down strong on their kids out of fear of their kids rebelling against them. But I want to say this, kids, they need and they want boundaries. Without boundaries, they actually don't feel the love. That's the reality. Even back in the Garden um, of Eden, Adam and Eve were given boundaries. God put a tree there. One thing that he said, do not do this. Why did he put that tree there? Because he had to give them a choice to choose to love him. If there was no tree there, they wouldn't have been able to choose to not obey him. As parents, we need to give our children clear boundaries. 
I'm not telling you what those are because as parents you get to set them. But let's not stop giving them boundaries and clear lines out of fear of them rebelling against us. Okay? Secondly, I think one of the other reasons I look at why parents may not be bringing discipline is because they're struggling with the same things themselves. And so they feel hypocritical to actually bring some of those boundaries in. A little bit like when we look at today, we look at screens and social media, the challenges around that. And I think as parents, this is one of the big things that we're facing today, isn't it? Actually, we need to be looking at what we are setting towards our parents, those standards that we're setting. And often we just give up and we let them on the screens. I know how difficult it is having three children. Because it's easy, because we want to be on our screens. Because we want to be, because we're caught in the exact same things that our kids are struggling with. And I just think it's so important that actually we as parents set that model, okay, for our kids. I want to say this, there's not a, there's not a Nile River, guys, like there was here that Satan wants to throw our kids into. But there is a culture that breeds rebellion and hopelessness. And I believe that Satan wants to get as many of our kids floating down that river as, possibly, as, he, as he possibly can. So what are we going to do about that? That's the next question. How does that actually outwork itself? Do you know, I want to say honestly, as a parent, there are loads of decisions that we get to make. You know, loads of things that we have to think about. Schooling, discipline, boundaries, values, friendships. But I think fundamentally, as I think about it as a parent, we have the privilege of modeling the security of relationship with God. And we have to, as parents, trust and pray that they too will come into that same passionate relationship with him that we get to model. Amram and Jochebed went on to hide Moses in an ark of bulrushes, daubed with asphalt and pitch. And the word ark here, you notice it, here in this context, it's only used one other time in the Bible. It's not the ark of the covenant, it's the ark that Noah built. And the ark, we know, was God's instrument for salvation for Noah and his family. And now we have Moses' parents learning from the stories. She'll have been told about Noah, and she has to build a means of salvation for her son, Moses. And you know, Jesus is our means of salvation, isn't he? And we must remind our kids, this is where we're starting to use the truth of the Bible, of Passages like Colossians 3. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You know, does God promise us that he's always going to protect us and our children from Anything that's going to harm us? Absolutely not. We know that as a church just so well. But he clearly promises some things here. He promises that he will be with us in all of our trials. He's going to give us grace and comfort when we turn to him in our suffering. More importantly, he promises us eternal life for all who trust and put their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Do you know that absolute security of his love is not 
threatened by physical circumstances. And the assurance that we get to offer our children as we speak faith into them is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Another passage I love is Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. We need to, as parents, teach our children the comfort and security of hiding ourselves in the shelter of the Almighty, no matter what comes at us. We need to teach our children that to be hidden in Christ is a glorious thing. To be hidden in him, we simply don't deserve, but it's the pure gospel, it's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they too get to be hidden in Christ. So that when God looks at us, who does he see? He sees Christ. Finally, Amran and Jochebed committed themselves to God-centered parenting. Moses' parents, they understood that they only had Moses for a short time. They knew that they were one day going to have to give their child to Pharaoh's daughter. And it was no secret that that would happen to Moses in Pharaoh's household. But you know, in Pharaoh's household, it would be very different. Pharaoh's daughter would sit him at the feet of Egypt's finest instructors, and Moses would be indoctrinated into all of the Egyptian pagan beliefs. He'd be pressured to adopt secular values and to participate in pagan cults. Moses' parents only had a very small window of opportunity to lay a moral and a spiritual foundation for Moses that would enable him to stand up under the weight of competing Egyptian beliefs. Man, probably six years, they reckon, as a nurse. They had till he was six to impart who he was, to impart who Yahweh was to him. You can imagine the intensity for his parents in that situation. Every day, they must have been telling him about the one true God of Israel. Every day, they must have told him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Every day, they told and retold him the story of how God honored Joseph's integrity and how they were miraculously intervened in Moses' birth. How God had rescued him and saved him in this story. They must have told him about God's covenant of love and about how he had been so faithful and always followed through on his word. They surely told him about the promised lands that God had called them to and that Egypt wasn't actually their home. They surely told him that God would deliver them from slavery one day. And today, we need parents, mothers, fathers who will do just the same thing. 
we need to, as parents, take and accept responsibility for our children when it comes to their spiritual development. We need parents who are going to make spiritual mentoring a priority over all things, all the things competing in life, over their secular education, over their sport, over their weekend or midweek clubs, and I know what it's like. For every parent, we have but a short window of opportunity to lay the proper foundations for our children. You know, in our junior schools, and our high schools, and our universities, they're taught about everything except who God is. They're taught that evolution is fact. They're pressured to adopt ungodly behaviors, values, and attitudes. We've already heard some of the stats, haven't we? Parents, we have to lay foundations for our children. And you know the church right here? We can help. We can provide classes and kids workers who teach our children excellently. But we as parents have to be the primary source for our children's spiritual development. Moses' parents, they laid a foundation that Moses could always return to for the rest of his life, forever and ever. Later, when God would appear to Moses in the burning bush, Moses would immediately recognize the God who spoke to him. Later, when God would command Moses to stand before Pharaoh and speak those famous words, let my people go, Moses knew that God could be trusted. Later, when the Israelites um, protested against Moses' leadership, Moses could remind the people of the many times that God had kept his words. Behind every great man and woman is a great parent, they say. And Moses' parents committed themselves to godly parents, parenting. And it made a massive difference, didn't it? They poured the foundation of his life, of which God built a great man, Moses. Susanna Wesley, the mother of John Wesley, spent one hour each day praying for her 17 children. In addition, she took each child aside for a full hour every week to discuss spiritual matters. It's no wonder that two of her sons, Charles and John, were used by God to bring blessing to the whole of England and much of America. And I'm ending here, but I want to end with this. I'm so aware when we hear talks on parenting, I'm a parent, and we can so often walk away feeling like, oh no, I am just a rubbish parent. And I want to assure you today and end on this, that as parents, we will all make mistakes. As parents, we all rely on the grace of God to cover all of our shame and all of our failings. And I want to remind you that it is God who has given you your children. And he's not left you to do this alone. He has sent himself. He's actually sent his Holy Spirit to live in us and to give us the gifts that are so needed as we work out this role. 
those gifts of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He's given them to us so that we can parent well. And I want to say this. He's also given us his beautiful bride, the church. This is a place of family. The church is not here to criticize. Everyone listen to this. We're not here to criticize parenting. They're not here to talk down to you or to scowl at the job that you're doing. But they're here to bring life to you. They're here to help you and care for you and encourage you in this wonderful season that you find yourself. That's the role for us as the church. I want us to end on that now. So as a parent, please, please, please hear what I said. Do not go away from here feeling like, oh, I'm rubbish. The grace of God is enough for all of us today. And he has given you and will continue to give you everything that you need to raise your children. And he will cover all of our failings and all of our shame where we make mistakes. And by his grace, he brings our children through. I am testing to that in my life. I personally fell away from God from about the age of 16 where I rebelled massively. Even though I had godly parents who spoke these things into me, And yet I walked away. And it was God. He is the God of salvation. He stretched out his arm. And he pulled me back and said, you're mine. Our God is gracious. Our God is sovereign. He's powerful. Let's stand.